Hi everyone, welcome back to Blurred Box. I'm Chloe. I'm Hayden. I'm Pooja. And Sophie is a bit occupied this episode, so she won't be able to join us. This is our podcast where four online students in four different places around the world from Stanford University's online high school come together every week to discuss a variety of topics and invite guests to take part in our discussions and share their views. Today, we are joined by one of our college counselors in our school, Dr. Adam Lips. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Just please introduce and give a few words about yourself. Sure, sure. I'm uh, Adam Lips. I am uh, the director of college counseling at Stanford's online high school. I have been at that school for nine years now. Uh, Prior to working at the online high school, I um, worked in college admissions at two different institutions, uh, Loyola University in Chicago and Emory University in Atlanta. Um, after I did that, I did some doctoral work uh, in higher education management where I studied um, st- student admission and financial aid policy. So that was the focus of my research. Um, so I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah thanks for coming. Thank you. Would you be able to tell us how you got into OHS exactly? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I had finished my doctoral program and like I said previously, had worked in, in college admissions. And I was, I was a stay-at-home parent, so we had moved to California with my wife and, and my daughter. I was taking care of my daughter. My wife was working, um, and I wanted to get back into, like, the workforce. I really enjoyed my work in admissions, um, but I needed, I needed to be doing something that had a little bit less travel and a little mm-hmm. bit more flexibility. Um, I saw this came up at Stanford, and it was a great option, um, you know, for because it, it fit all of those different things that I had done, and um, it was new, different, and interesting, so I thought I'd go with it. Yeah, really cool. So, Dr. Lips, our topic for today is on affirmative action in higher education. Would you be able to give us some insight as to what that means to you with the system in the U.S.? Sure. I mean, I, I think affirmative action just just basically is a group of you know policies or any policy or program um, where an institution sort of actively makes efforts to improve opportunities for um, groups that are historically excluded in American society. I mean, where it touches upon what I do quite a bit is in college admissions, um, where it tends to be part of the you know, potentially part of the review process. It's been subject to some litigation and court cases over the years as well. So, um, yeah, I think that, that there are many reasons why colleges, you know, in, endeavor to implement affirmative action policies and, and have, you know, have a diverse student body is sort of what they're, what they're going for. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm, I see it most in, in, in what I do. Right. And, what do you think about it? Like, are there ways to improve it or should it be improved? Is it, is that even possible? Like, I, I just, I guess that's just kind of starter questions that I have from your particular right, expertise. Kind of a a one size fits all policy or exactly. kind of yeah. have variations on it that might suit schools differently. I, I don't, I don't think, you know, there's necessarily one size fits all, so to speak. And, and I think that every institution is, is so different. I mean, we have, we have colleges and universities that are public and those that are private, those that are small, those that are large, those that serve different populations of, of people. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really something that needs to be tailored and, you know, tweaked to, to fit each individual thing. Like my, my personal view on it is, is that affirmative action is, is something that is, is important. I mean, there are historically, um, 
there are groups that have been historically been discriminated against and who are underrepresented in higher education. So higher education doesn't always look like um, the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there are a number of reasons for that. And, and I think that universities and colleges have a responsibility, in, in my mind, to be proactive about um, you know, promoting things like social mobility um, and, and to take steps toward making things more equitable. You know, so so I I I think that it's something um, you, you know that that is overall a, a good thing. I don't know that the implementation always works all that well as it should. I'm sure we can talk about that a little bit, but right, um, yeah. yeah. So, do you think that affirmative action is almost a policy that ideally would phase itself out over time, where it's no longer necessary, or if there will always be you know different groups that kind of need a leg up into mm-hmm. college uh, admissions? Sure. I mean, I think ideally it would somehow, I guess, go away. Do I see that happening in my lifetime? I'm not, I'm not so sure. I mean, I I think that there's just such a long history of, 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 I mean, if you think about not to go into too much and get too boring, but if you think about how colleges and universities came to be say, and and I'm talking about in this country, particularly, Mm -hmm. you know, that they were ways to like educate the, the, children of wealthy landowners always white you know and and like that's how they started and that's how they existed for for many many years um it's difficult to see you know people not proactively doing things to um to bring things i think more into balance and and i do think again i i would argue that it is beneficial to society as a whole for, for that to be a, a, a policy. You know, so you can see where I come out on this, like, you know, yeah. philosophical. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. There's so many students that you've worked with in the college admission so far with all of us and students with the OHS, and you've seen them go from the beginning of the tunnel through the end of it and through the end of their journey. How have you seen that been implemented into their journey so far, the ones that you've been able to experience? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard to say, but, but I think that if, we, if I think about where our students apply, and they tend to apply to places that are more selective, so places that have many more qualified applicants than they have room um, in, in their freshman class to, to take. Um, I, I think that students are, are reviewed in, in this way, this holistic way, you know, where they, we use the, the phrase holistic admission, where they're looking not just at what they've done academically and, and those things, but they're looking at you know, as we say, a variety of factors. Um, that adds uncertainty to the policy for each, to the process for each individual student. Um, and so I think that uncertainty can be a little bit unnerving for, for people because we want it, or many people want it in, in some way to be a meritocracy, mm-hmm. like a, a true meritocracy where there's a defined level of achievement and then students who hit the certain levels of achievement are granted admission, um, right. but that's not the case. The, the admission in the U.S. is not a meritocracy um, at, at all. So I think that that's, that is something that students deal with, you know, sort of on a, on a, on a daily basis. Um, and, and, you, you know, and, and this may be part of that, but we'd ever know specifically, you know, how much yeah. A specific right. affirmative action policy playing in the, in the thing. 
I think the point of view that the meritocracy itself doesn't even exist within the college applications process is interesting because I think that would upset a lot of people, you know, who really want to feel, you know, like they, they've earned their spot based on nothing more than like what they've earned and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that we definitely saw even most recently with the college scandals regarding like um, paying for admission to a lot of different colleges. Um, I think that kind of opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that this is at the end of the day, like colleges are still businesses and they also still have incentives to have people who have the most money to come in for, you know, to admit people who they think can be donors to them in the future. So it's interesting to see that kind of become more realized, I think. I was just wondering, going off of that, if you think there's a line between choosing an applicant who's in a minority versus someone who's not in a minority, or if you think there is some sort of defining factor where colleges, how do colleges choose between someone who is in a non-minority applicant versus someone who is a minority applicant? I mean, I think it's it's tough to quantify, and, and I think that colleges deliberately will not quantify that. So, I mean, if you look not to, if you look at some of these like past court cases, the, the University of Michigan one is like early 2000, I think 2003 or something like that, um, is an interesting one to look at because they were quantifying this. So they were saying, if you were a student of a certain background, you get, um, they said like 20 points. So they had a point system when they admitted people. So just by virtue of, of being a certain race or, or background, you get a certain number of points in the admission process. And then students who earn X points like are admitted and, and, and those who don't are not. I mean, I think that that kind of thing is, is problematic. Um, and, and, I, and I don't think that that's something that, that colleges are doing or, you know, or, or want to do. So it's a lot more sort of subjective and it's thinking about, um, well, what's your, what's your background been? What's your experience been? And, and how does that contribute to our college and, and our environment? And so there's a lot of uncertainty and then some interpretation that, that goes on there. Um, and that's how we're seeing it used. And that's why it's a little bit, you know, like fuzzy as to what role it's playing. Yeah. Right. I've always found it interesting. I, I thought it must be one of the hardest jobs of college admissions officers to kind of analyze um, where the lack of opportunity might have come in for students, you know, for, um, you know, two students who are perfectly well qualified, but one has, you know, gone to more summer programs or had more like academic opportunities given to them and trying to weigh, you know, where a student has just not taken advantage of opportunities given to them or where they've actually been placed in a situation where they aren't offered to them um, or actively discouraged from achieving them. So I don't know if you struggled with that as an admissions officer during your time there, um, or if I doubt there's any like, you know, trick to just be able to, to solve that. Um, but how did you kind of think through that? Yeah, it's something that, that we were always really attuned to, you know, we, we're always looking at, I, I think the admission, the job as an admission person is, is to be a positive you know, to, to think about things positively and, and, and try to like affirm decisions that, that people have made and, and to understand context, um, you know, so giving the benefit of the doubt in situations, um, you know, especially where a student didn't have the type of opportunity that, that 
other students might have is, is something that, that we would think of. And, and you know, again, I, I, it, it was never done though in like a systematic formulaic sort of way. Um, but it's always more like, hey, look at this student. Um, like sure, they don't have any say AP courses um, but, but look at their high school, you know, 15% of the students go to four-year colleges. They only offer one AP course. Their average test score coming out of the high school is extremely low. It's like right. mostly first-generation students. It's, you know, so now you're, you're building some context for the, the place from which that student is coming. Um, yeah. and, and then you may want to, you know, provide them you know, more support for their candidacy given, mm -hmm. given their, their situation. And that's all part of it. And then for, for each individual student. It but, seems like a lot of it comes down to opportunity and who's going to be able to take the opportunity that's given to them. Is that correct? Like when it comes down to deciding who to admit into colleges, who's going to take advantage of the opportunity, regardless of where they're, where they've come from or what their background is. I think that that's what they, I think that that's what they try to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, that looking at what's available. So it's, it's each individual case. What, what's been available to you? What's your individual situation? How have you, you know, taken advantage, as you said, of, of what's available to you? And then, um, you know, and then again, like baseline, do you have the ability to be successful in this environment, this environment being that of the college? Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, the whole college preparedness thing. But what I'm really curious and interested about is that with this affirmative action thing, right, with the U.S., it's mainly based on ethnicity, right? That's, the, well, that's kind of like the, the short term, mm -hmm. put in simple words kind of mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. But when you look at it from like a very surface level, right, when you look at the, all the admissions that go into like Harvard, for example, just mm -hmm. to very put it out there, Ivy League, you assume everyone going there applying is like very smart, like 5.0 GPA, if not more. And well, five point, it's 4.0 GPA. <laughs> Whatever you want. I'm not going to college There's... at this point. 4.0 GPA. <laughs> 5.0. But yeah, like they have a 4.0 more GPA than the, all the APs. Like you said, like they have test scores. They've probably like helped in the soup kitchen and they're like Superman at that point. Maybe. With all of those going in, right? Surface level, you're going to choose a black Superman or a white Superman? I feel like it gets, it's very strange that thinking about it in that way when a lot of people just look at that particular topic on its own, mm -hmm. like just for conversation wise, what do you think with having been in admissions, right? What, what is it that goes on there that when people think of it as super service level, how do you clarify that to them? Just taking race on its own or right, it feels like a quota. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think quotas are, are, it's kind of a dirty word, you know, it's no one will ever talk about and, or say that they have quotas um, because I mean, in many cases they can be illegal and in, in other cases um, you, you know, it's, it's again, you, it's not something you quantify. I mean, the example you gave is a, is a little bit probably simplified, you know, over, oversimplified, I, I would, I would think. So, um, you know, but, but I think that maybe to, like, 
maybe maybe to that point um the you know the colleges again they're striving for this idea of of diversity yeah, and, exactly. and there are reasons why the why they want it and so they they may find themselves in in situations where you know maybe a student has like every advantage you know known to to a person but they come from an underrepresented group but right. they may still admit that student you know in in, in part that 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 like dimension of their application may be helpful to them yeah. um, in, in the process, you know, because they're also looking at, you know, they're reporting numbers right. and kind of things. But but I mean, I don't think it's only, um, you know, it's it's not only a racial ethnic thing. I, I think that when we when we talk about underrepresented groups, um, you know, that that can be people from first generation college backgrounds mm -hmm. or, or lower mm -hmm. income backgrounds. It could be, you know, nursing students for a place that has a shortage of nurses. Um, you, you know, there, there are all types of ways that you can define underrepresented groups. And I think that that's what the policies are there for. I, I'm not really sure that I answered your question, but. No, no worries. I'm I'm glad that's cleared up because that's a very good distinction to make. But now I think this is where it gets interesting because we're going to open this up this discussion to what it's like for other countries as well. France, for example, is particularly different. We're talking about this very like like you said, put aside the diversity that American universities strive for, the ethnic origins or underrepresented minorities. Now, from a paper I read from Elise Langan on affirmative action in French education systems, the French education system was created to uphold Republican principles stemming from the revolution. Their constitution upholds equality before the law of all the citizens without any discrimination. So with less words, the French Republican model tries to have all French citizens, irrespective of their religion, their race, social standing, all of these factors, receive same education, be afforded same opportunities and rights. The interesting part is that their affirmative action is based on geography rather than all of the stuff we've been talking about so far. And that's by targeting working class and immigrant neighborhoods. So what do you think on that alone before we go further? I, I mean, I think, I don't think that that's a part of that. I don't think is, is dissimilar because when we talk about underrepresented, like under that underrepresented umbrella, um, you know, geography can be a part of that. Um, right like the neighborhood you come from you know the either like your your location generally or the neighborhood you come from is is or even the school that you go to you know can all fit into underrepresentation do you feel yeah. like within those groups of like underrepresented um minorities being represented in colleges do you feel like there are any groups that colleges might have more of an obligation to or if it's all kind of the same um you know, obviously you're trying to afford everyone an equal chance, but mm -hmm. do you feel like there are people who need um, like more of a hand getting there? Um, like if it's based on like geography or ethnic background or um, class or majors or anything like that, like is there one stumbling block that you think- Like a particularly more deserving group, you know? Right. I mean, I probably yeah. wouldn't stay away from, from that. I mean, I think that, that it, but if we look historically at, at at the country, um, you know, and and the history of, of of this of this country. I mean, I I think that you will find along the way, 
um, like systemic issues of, you know, things like racism and classism and, 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 right. that. and I think that, you know, that will probably guide but uh, things, but, but I also think that that's an institution by institution, um, you know, type of, type of decision. Yeah, I think that's fair. Right. Also the admissions process and just all the applicants applying to every college seem to be so much stronger than in previous years. And I'm wondering if affirmative action is playing a role in that because maybe people who aren't in a minority feel like they have more of a responsibility to take more challenging classes and more be involved in more extracurriculars to try to get some other edge above other applicants. I mean, I, I, don't, I think in the absence of a true meritocracy, um, you know, people are looking for the actual quantifiable measures that will improve their position. So mm -hmm. I believe that, and this is just a hypothesis, I guess, but, but uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, so those things are what? Grades and test scores, you know, it's like first on the, on the academic level. And then the third thing is sort of the accumulation of accolades that you know for with outside activities and 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 that um you know so yeah i mean i think that people do see what they can have maybe some control over and mm -hmm. then they they focus on those and that's why we've seen an increase in in like overall and in, in test score testing profiles and things at, at colleges and, and universities um, you know, because that's like what people feel like they can do and, and have some control over. I wonder if that comes from the absence of the meritocracy or if that also, I've always kind of just assumed that that came from, I don't know, from, you know, people making college more of like a norm and like the next step that you're supposed to take right after college, after high school or, um, like that a college degree is basically you know is turning into the same as like a high school diploma as far as mm -hmm. being able to find employment afterwards and stuff um so I guess I kind of just thought that it was people starting to take college more seriously but I hadn't considered it as I guess a result of people like s stopping to believe in a meritocracy so mm -hmm. to speak um so that's interesting yeah I I think um people i mean people yes they like a high school diploma isn't what it used to be a college degree probably isn't what it used to be and then you know and, and i think then there becomes a more a focus in some sort of hierarchy of colleges which which contributes to the competitiveness and then like the colleges aren't innocent in any of this either i mean they they have for years deliberately driven up their application numbers right. in order to appear more selective, you know, to generate more applications, which gives them more money in the end, you, you know, so there's, there's that aspect of it. There's that aspect of it too. And so more people want, you, you know, especially at the, at the, at a, at selective places, you know, more and more people want what, what they have or what they think they can get get out of that which, you know, yeah of. so one of the things that i'm still thinking about we're obviously in an online school so the first thing that comes to mind is how does or where does online school fit into all of this i mean that's that's that is a good question um i, I mean i think that you're there are a lot of benefits so i always look at it on the positive right there are i think there are a lot of benefits to to being at at the school 
Um, yeah, I, I think that you, so the diff, like one primary difference is, is if, you know, you're looking at, if I, the admission office is looking at students from um, like, let's take like the high school down the street, you know, Main Street Public High School and, right. and kind of, you know, there's differences within the high school, but everyone's kind of the same. Everyone lives in the same area. Everyone, not everyone, but many people come from the same like socioeconomic background and, and their parents have, you know, somewhat similar jobs because it's all, mm -hmm. you know, regional like that. Um, when you come to our high school, you're not from here necessarily. You might be from across the country or, you know, halfway around the world. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, and so I think that like where, like, and I often tell people like where you're from is, is like to the extent that that matters at a university and it will matter differently to different ones, will play a role in, in, in like um, your admission. So you may be by, based on geography, underrepresented at some colleges, but overrepresented geographically at, at other colleges. Okay, so basically you're saying like they do take these two factors into account then, right? So when they look at this population, or am I misinterpreting that? You look at the population of us, for example, right? I, was, I remember talking to you about this at some point, right? That, or maybe it was someone else, that they do register all of the students in our high school, for example, in the Bay Area. But like you said, it's not the case because there are people like me who are halfway across the world. What happens then? So the, there's a person who's in charge of, of our high school with the idea being that you're the expert on our high school and on our academic program. So this is part of the context, like you're coming out of this high school, this high school offers certain things, and then you've taken certain things, you know, that, that compare to what's offered. So that's part of the context. Um, if, if you're somewhere else, we can't expect you to take multivariable calculus, you know, at the school down the street yeah. right. because they don't have it, you know? So, so you're, you're looked at, you know, sort of the, the academics and, and the coursework that you've done and the curriculum is meant to be understood by a person who's, who's an expert. And then what I'll tell you is where you're, you're still considered by that college to be geographically from the place where you live. You know, so if you live in Iowa, you're an OHS student, you know, who has access to that academic program, who lives in, in Iowa. You're not a Bay Area student. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the same way, because, and that's important, and I think people have concerns about it, because where, where I live, like in this area, um, there are like tens of thousands of like, wealthy it's competitive yeah high test taking students who have accumulated like strong grades and um you know like tough coursework it's like mm -hmm. an embarrassment of riches from you know yeah so it's more competitive to be an applicant from here i think it was interesting what you were saying about kind of looking at the opportunities that you're given and then comparatively like how you've taken advantage of them like what you've taken like that's actually been offered to you and stuff like that because i've spent a lot of my high school, I was homeschooled from second grade um, until honestly, I only started really doing online school um, sophomore year of high school. So I spent a large majority of my um, life as a student at the homeschooler. Um, and that definitely made me really nervous um, through the college application process. 
um, which thank God I'm done with now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that made me nervous because I felt like the admissions officers didn't really have the same baseline of comparison that they have mm-hmm. for a lot of other places, even like online schools, you know, like one of the reasons that I ended up attending um, Stanford OHS too is because um, it's a great school. We wanted to try something new and also because we wanted to kind of try to give colleges an idea of the baseline that I was hitting as a homeschooler mm-hmm. um, or, you know, the kind of um, academics that I was trying to strive for. Um, so I wonder if you encounter, I know that there are specific like homeschool admissions officers mm-hmm. um, who I, I presume have more knowledge on like what it's generally like, but since that changes based on like each individual um, do you have any experience with like how that might be evaluated or where you create a baseline where it's really difficult to tell if there even mm-hmm. is one? I, I think that homeschool students um, <clears throat> commonly present a challenge for admission offices because just of what, what, you're, what you're talking about, there's a lack of, you know, like a comparative standard. So the, the, if you're traditionally homeschooled in the sense that my parents taught me you know, all my classes. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for a traditionally homeschooled student to present to an admission office with all A's, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in their classes. And, um, and so there's an, probably an, what I would say an over-reliance in those situations on standardized testing because they need some sort of um, point, point of comparison. Um, okay. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, now they're going test optional with a lot of colleges with the current situation. Right. Yes. Right. They say so, test optional, but I feel like. Yeah. I feel like so I'm curious as to what that implies to you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, every the, like I think Cornell recently said it too, and mm-hmm. then uh, was it I think Wellesley too? They're like, oh yeah, we're test optional. Really? Are they? Mm-hmm. Well, like, well, I, I would like to know what you think that means. <laughs> I feel Hi. like test optional. I see it and. I think of course, okay, it's test optional, like, you know, technically, but I feel like, I mean, especially with my background as a homeschooler, I don't know, know mm-hmm. about you guys, but because I kind of recognize that they might need the standardized tests, um, mm-hmm. even for the schools I was applying to the last cycle that were test optional, I was like, it's not really test optional for me yes. because I kind of need yeah. to prove something further. I think so too. Yeah. My, I'm still, I like, I go into it thinking as well, like, yeah, okay, you say test optional, but those who had the scores already, I mean, you put my profile next to the person who has a relatively com- competitive profile to mine, but has those scores, even though it, okay, say like, yeah, you're understandable, you're human, thank you, please be nice. Look, I didn't get the opportunity to do it, but look at this person who has the 1600 SAT and the one that didn't get the opportunity to do it. You're going to pick that one, aren't you? Yeah, because I feel like they would automatically look somewhat better because you don't have the same source of comparison like even if the other person did take the SAT at least there was some sort of comparison to compare them to versus someone who just didn't take it we're having kind of a similar issue I think right now I say we as like the large we um at OHS since the grades went pass fail or you have the option to kind of opt into your pass fail Mm -hmm. grades I think a lot of kids um are considering now like how it looks on their transcript if they have pass fail versus if they have like a 70 in their class or like if they have a high grade if that would look better Mm -hmm. um so they're trying to weigh like if colleges would actually look at them the same Mm -hmm. too Mm -hmm. Um, yeah hence what we think on the you know test optional is like no 
<laughs> it's a little bitter. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, um, sorry to I mean, come off that way, but no. No, no, no. But I mean, any admission person is welcome to, to disagree with me. But I mean, if you just think about it for so long, especially these places that haven't historically been test optional, they've always relied on, on tests as, as, as one of the metrics that they're, that they're using. You know, so it's, it's best to, you know, probably if you can have tests, um, you know, they're, they're still going to rely on them and, and look at them. Um, but I think that what they're saying by going test optional is they're recognizing. So again, when we get back to underrepresented groups and, and things like that, they're recognizing sure. that like, hey, not everybody's going to be able to take tests and you okay. shouldn't be disqualified because you are not in a situation to take tests. Like, sure, maybe if you have the means and you've prepped and everything, you did that early in your junior year and you're all set and you're good to go. Um, but what if you're not that? What if you're like from a place that, that typically can't take them until the fall and then there are no tests in the fall, you know, and right. now you're not going to be able to do it. And um, yeah, so I think it's, it's good to have it. Yeah. I think that's, that's quite interesting to talk about because it, obviously it's a big deal going on right now and it's affecting loads and loads of people. But one of the things that we also do on this podcast before we kind of wrap up is we have a box segment and we kind of have this box where we ask our guests to classify words that fit inside a box and then outside of a box. So since we're talking about affirmative action, naturally, we've kind of talked about this, but what words would you consider that first come to mind? If, they, if you're having trouble with words, which we found, you can come up with phrases. <laughs> Because, you know, single words are hard. I have trouble uh, with words, yeah. I know. I, I got the feeling, too. The inside the box, you talk about, I guess, affirmative action and the positive outcomes of that. And then the negative outcomes of that and the outside of the box. Quite generic and simple, but let's see how that goes. So inside the box first, the positive <laughs> aspects yeah. of it? Like, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think uh, diversity. Right. Um, equity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, social mobility. No, that's two words. You know, opportunity. Um, I I think, yeah. I think it, words that, that don't. I I uh, racist. I don't. Some people are, are reverse discrimination. I, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are things I would not put in there. Um, Just to kind of like help you out, what are some words that maybe are misconstrued that people like tend to put in the wrong boxes or words that don't even fit in there, but people seem to use from your experience? Well, I, I think this idea that um, these aren't words, there's a concept of I didn't get no in, worry. I didn't get in to places because of this policy. Like right. they only right. got because of the policy, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and, and um, I didn't, you know. Right. And then right. I think that sometimes get most, gets most focused on things like, like race. So mm-hmm. without, so maybe they're looking at the student from the underrepresented racial group as right. why they didn't get mm-hmm. in. But are they thinking about the legacy applicant the donor, oh, yeah. the athlete, That's interesting, the, yeah. you know, right. the, the musician, all those kind of things. Like, 
people don't seem to have an issue with right. as much of an issue with that though i know this admission scandal like brings a little bit of more of that to light uh -huh. yeah yeah that's um, true the interesting to me is that when you bring that up i know we're like almost at time but in something i read for brazil in 2012 they enacted a law that required the public universities to reserve half of their admission spots for largely poor students and then drastically increased the number of students of america uh, sorry african descent mm -hmm. and then because of this it became like common to put yourself in front of like this panel and if you self-identified as mixed race or black then they can kind of like judge your race and then the panel asks like student questions and then takes measurements such as like their nose width and hair texture Ow. yeah to, to Wait, like determine whether now? they should be admitted yeah like it yeah in front of a panel to get if they're like, telling the truth or something yeah like they'll they'll take oh. the, the the measurements and stuff that's like, really problematic too because i know for myself i'm of puerto rican descent and i identify that way i identify i identified that way on um my college applications as latina but um i'm white presenting um i don't speak spanish at home so you know if you were to put me in front of a panel like that i'm almost positive i wouldn't be able to pass even though i, I claim that part of my heritage so it's interesting right. yeah i forget where i was going with that but that was just really interesting i wanted to put out there or if you have any like thoughts on that talk to your lips that's yeah, like i mean wow. i don't i don't really have thoughts on that but you can also look you know for some ways like places ways that people have tried to do things alternatively you can look at um the state of texas mm -hmm. um you know where they um <clears throat> they grant you know i, I forget maybe like top 10 percent admission to the to the state schools um mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, so that the idea is that people are distributed in in like different ways at different types of schools around the state, um, yeah. and and so that might be one way to do it. In in the absence of considering race, um, they have something somewhat similar in California, with the top eight percent, um, and that you know, but so that implies like oh maybe there's some fairness there, but then you have people who circumvent that right. Like there was right. I read about a school in Texas that found a way to consider the top 15% of their class as the top 10%. So maybe they like counted the ties differently, you oh, know? Wow. And then, and that of course was a well-resourced, already advantaged school, you know? So yeah. then there's that. So that's like, when you try to make things a meritocracy, you know, you also have to think about, well, what measures are we using to define merit? And are those fair? Right. And I would argue like in this country, the things that people want to use to define merit, grades, test scores, are inherently unfair to certain groups of people. Yeah. You know, so if you're going to like create a meritocracy on that, like that's flawed in and of, it, in and of itself. So right. Um, Even GPA comes to mind because so many different schools have different ways of calculating GPA. But sure. I know that now colleges know recalculate mm -hmm. them anyway. Yeah, it's so it's yeah. such a fake like metric. Like it's it's just it's yeah. I, yeah, I it, like yeah, exist putting like it on a scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like appease parents and, and things like that. My views can be a little bit cynical sometimes about this. <laughs> <stuff>, so. <laughs> I think we've had yeah. some cynicism in this podcast, but mm -hmm. sorry.
<laughs> no, no worries at all. We think we kind of strayed from that box segment, but it's all good. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. This was really great. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank no you. No problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Before we let you go, though, I, w- I would like to ask one thing. If you had one piece of advice to give to all of the students registering for college now mm-hmm. with this current situation, not just the students in OHS, what would be the one thing you would say to all these students registering now? Oh, registering to, to start sorry. college or who are uh, yeah, applying? I'm using the wrong words. I'm having trouble. Okay. Applying to I, words. Uh, sorry. Oh, oh, my God. I'm <laughs> applying to college. <laughs> I mean, applying to college, my main piece of advice is don't make the mistake of thinking that the outcome of your application process says anything about your like ability, potential, or self-value or, or self-worth. The, the, the process through which you have to go to, you know, to be admitted to college is carries no meaning for for you as a person it's 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 like to simplify it is it's an asinine and like broken kind of process and the fact that people you know put so much on them being either a success or a failure for instance to simplify on the Mm -hmm. outcome of that process is having done that job and what I do now is so ridiculous and like disheartening to me. I would just encourage people to, to not do, not do that. Like, I love that. Yeah. That's good advice. You know, there's good things to do. So yeah, that's my (laughs) advice. I I always say it to people. uh, Not everyone always listens, but I think that they get there eventually as they get a little older. (laughs) Everything works out in the end. Yeah. 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 All right. There's yeah. our positivity for the end. <laughs> exactly. You. Definitely. We needed some of that. But okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Lips. This is really great. Sure. No problem. Thank you guys for listening to Blurred Blocks with Chloe, Haven, Pooja, and minus Sophie today. She'll be back next week. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blurred Box, and we release episodes every Saturday. And if you enjoy listening to our podcast, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Box for the latest updates. All right. And that was it for today. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.